Good morning, good afternoon. I'm Bill Connor, and if you joined and registered and you're attending live by going to autobottles.com forward slash radio, you can see our smiling faces. Thank you. And for those of you that are listening to us on one of the many podcasting platforms later on, uh, welcome and good day to you. Uh, today, I've got with me, again, I've got uh, Frank Skandura of Frank's um, European in the Vegas area. And I've also got Uwe Klein-Smith, our very own Chief Innovation Officer. And today we're going to explore what every shop owner is probably going to be dealing with over the next three to five years and how it's going to impact the compensation plans and stuff that we need to attract the best and brightest into the industry and keep them here. So we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things, which is M&Ms, and that's how to measure, manage, and motivate your staff. And I would like you to go back when you're done, and let's go ahead and share some M&Ms with your, with your staff. And so although it's not certain, these are trends that we're seeing in the industry right now. We participate in a lot of um, groups and stuff that are, are having this conversation, so we thought we'd open it up today. So today's focus will be on process changes and strategies to stay ahead of the competition, the competition when it comes to the different pay types and compensation systems we have. So uh, gentlemen, are you guys ready to dig in here? Ready and willing. Awesome. So let's go ahead and start with defining some of the different pay type systems that are in the marketplace right now in the shop and the pros and cons of those systems when it comes to the different employees also. So, you know, for everything that's out there, there may be good for the shop and good for the employee, but there, there's probably a flip side and we got to go ahead and, and talk about that and then the balance. So Frank, if you want to go ahead and start off, um, you know, let's start defining, you know, some of these programs and, and work down and, you know, start dissecting. Sure. So some of the basic things are <clears throat> hourly, obviously, right? And um, sales quotas for service advisors, uh, nothing real complicated, very easy to understand and implement. Um, still trying to figure out what's best in that process. Uh, there's uh, hourly for text plus team bonuses based on gross profit, sales goals for service advisors plus team bonus based on gross profit. And that's really, really important. Um, <clears throat> if you guys don't understand gross profit dollars and how critical that is to the success of your business, uh, it's you need to really, really zoom in on that. Um, <clears throat> the benefit of that is alignment with individual goals and team goals. Then there's the flat rate for techs and sales quotas for service advisors as another um, best alignment with individual goals and controlled cost per build hours. One of the benefits there, um, <clears throat> flat rate is risky for high producing techs, right? So especially if the shop has a hard time keeping up with those guys that can just grind out hours. And we all know we get those rock stars in it and you got to make sure you got the sales force that can keep up with them. Um, but Bill, I do want to challenge you real quick. You said that <clears throat> shops will need to really think about this in the next three to five years. I would challenge that it, it's the next three to five hours, right? Yeah. Think, <laughs> you really, really got to focus on <clears throat> um, what we need to do to improve our industry. And we need to do it now. We need to make this uh, an attractive industry for people to get into. And it's, it's compensation is part of it. So, being as there's such a shortage of technicians right now, and, and you know we don't seem to have many coming in, maybe we should go ahead and start by dissecting some of the pay structures for the technicians. And you know the most common one out there is the flat rate system, and maybe we should talk about the advantage to the shop for the flat rate system, 
the advantage for the tech for this flat rate system, and then some of the the things that you know your technicians, um, you know, they struggle with about the flat rate system. That sound like a good path for for you, uh, Uben Frank. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> you know, flat rate's good if um, the tech has what he needs to succeed, the tools he needs to succeed. What are some of those tools? Uh, you know, the technicians that feel like they have to purchase their own um, scanners and have to buy their own special tools, um, I think are in at a tremendous disadvantage. I think if you guys aren't providing basic tools for the cars you're working on, you're, you're making a huge mistake. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know of a single plumber that works for a plumbing company that has to buy his own truck and equipment, right? I don't know a single electrician that has to buy his own truck and equipment and equip it, but we seem to make our guys have to do that. <clears throat> um, why is it good so, for the shop? Go ahead. <clears throat> so it's part of the compensation program for techs going on to the future, uh, supplying tools, toolboxes, um, all the tools that they need to go ahead and come in the shop and work. That is something that is, um, you know, you're hearing talk talked about quite regularly. Sure. There's shops. Look, the dealerships started doing it years ago where they're providing toolboxes for the techs, right? And um, anybody who's bought a Snap-on or Mac toolbox knows they don't give those away. Several thousand dollars. One of my guys a couple of years ago decided to upgrade his toolboxes. I think he said he spent $11,000 on toolboxes. You know, that, that's a lot of money to store your tools to work on someone else's car. Mm -hmm. so, so that's part of the barrier to entry for new, new techs, for sure. You know, the, those of us have been in the industry for a million years. We've already got $100,000 worth of tools, <laughs> you know, up. Um, but that's a definite barrier to entry for the new ones. Uh, one of the other barriers for technicians is, you know, they're going ahead and changing shops is just a simple thought process. If I change to another shop, who's going to move my toolbox? And more importantly, is it going to be covered insurance-wise if that building burns down or if they get robbed. So, you know, these are all some of the things that we need, need to go ahead and, and consider when we're trying to attract and, and move the new people in. Um, one of the other things that, you know, I know as a technician, I, I always used to hate, I always used to be on the cutting edge of everything and, and put myself in a position where I could fix anything. And one of the things that always really drove me nuts is the more I knew and the more I invested, the less I would go ahead and make flag hourly wise because I was assigned all the stuff that was time bandits. So, you know, being assured, you know, proper dispatching and things like that, these are all things that, you know, come into the, the flat rate system. So your really good techs, they can sometimes go ahead and say, well, this flat rate system is going to be used against me because I'm going to be doing all this stuff. And the guy that doesn't know anything has got a tackle box for tools. He's sucking all the gravy out of the shop. That's interesting because <clears throat> I think shop owners tend to um, forget about their top people and they look at that guy that's just burning through hours because he can just, you know, he, he doesn't want to diagnose cars because he knows how hard it is. So it's just like, no, oh, man, this is what I'm good at. And then you start feeding him that work because he's getting the work done. The advisors are feeding him that work. And they don't even realize they're doing it. They're getting the work done, getting it done, getting it done, getting it done. And then you got the guy that's really good at doing the diag and stuff. And he's like, hey, man, I'm only doing 30 hours a week. You're killing me here. And, and the shops just don't really know how to fix that problem. 
and, and this is where the flat rate really has to be looked at. Is this the best possible uh, scenario that we can do for our guys? You know, we had a <clears throat> our Transformers Mastermind meeting an hour ago, and, and one of the guys does a team system where, you know, they share hours and you've got to have the right team for that to work. You have to have the right culture. So if the entire team of four guys can do 200 hours, then they'll split that evenly. So um, there, there's a lot of things we have to look at. We cannot do what we've always done in the past. I don't think it's working anymore, to be honest. That's, that's why we're here today, right? What do we have to do different? How are we gonna attract people? How are we going to retain people? And, and it's more than money, right? Because when you survey people, what is it that you're looking for in an employer? Dollars is never number one. But it has to be enough and fair. <laughs> that is absolutely correct because I'm not going to come work for you for free just because you wash my car every day, <clears throat> right? right? So it does have to be enough. It does have to be fair. It does have to be competitive. And, and if I may, you know, the toolbox discussion triggered in me the thinking the toolbox ownership and the flat rate discussion seems to create a kind of lone wolf uh, existence for attack right i'm i have to bring my tools i only get paid for exactly the build hours i can finish so i am i'm on my own i'm i'm i don't know whether they see it as empowerment or more as you know, give me the work. It's it's really a production horse being fed with work and I bring my tools to the work, right? So, so the whole idea that only the process and the team makes it work seems to be in the background in the flat rate model. Am I you know, in the I right think, direction? I, I think things are so different today. It's, it's kind of hard. <clears throat> For those of us with the white chins, okay, because when a dog gets old, his chin turns white first. <clears throat> right. It, it's sometimes okay. it's it's hard, right? So we actually have to listen. My business model has always been find out what my customers want and give it to them. Mm -hmm. So now I need to really think about well, what does it do that employees want? Can I give it to them? And, and I think that. <clears throat> Um, you know, I don't know how to put this. You know, when I was up and coming in the industry, I never bought a brand new toolbox. I just never did. It was more valuable for me to have good tools than a big shiny box for it. And I had these homemade carts and whatever I can do to get tools, you know, to, to roll around on them. Uh, you know, the drawers would grind and screech as I opened and closed them and I didn't care. Um, I did buy one brand new toolbox when I brought my tools home which was a tough decision as a shop owner. And uh, <clears throat> uh, it, I think it was eight or $9,000 for a snap-on bottom box. And, it, and that's when I really realized that, you know, those, those days of, you know, I have to have the biggest, best shiny box. We got to get away from that mentality. We got to get these guys to understand, get the brain going. Let me help you get educated. <clears throat> I just signed my entire team up for a, like a 75 module electric vehicle training. And, you know, come on, I, I, we've got to really just focus and change directions on this. I want you guys to get educated. I want you to be the best you can be. I think they're earning more money sitting at their bench, analyzing information than you're actually twisting wrenches. That's got to be the way we're moving. So how do we compensate for that? 
you can't pay a guy flat rate for, you know. <clears throat> Not unless oh. the shop learns how to go ahead and bill for it appropriately, which requires them to get an authorization for testing, charge for individual tests, just like a doctor would or a dentist would or anything else. And then the diagnosis is given after the tests are performed. So yeah. if I'm a diagnostic guy and you're going to pay me for my testing by individual tests, I'm going to be in on that all day long, especially if I'm a diesel guy. Well, you're right. And the shops who don't test and the shops who run back to the techs and say, hey, man, we got to help the customer out. Can you spare me a couple of hours? Uh, you, you know, stop doing that. <clears throat> I wish I had a dollar for every time the service writer said I'll make it up on the next one. You don't. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's like, you know, there's an old joke years ago. A guy was going to open up a factory of real rebuilding engines. He's going to sell the engines at $5 below his cost and make it up on volume. <laughs> <clears throat> right? It, it just funny. doesn't work that way. Um, right. We have to stop being afraid to charge what it's cost to fix the cars. Um, you know, it's just, I can't get emotionally involved. I can't get my wallet involved in the cost of repairing someone else's car. Um, and, and, and if you're out there and you struggle with this or your sales team struggles with this, you, you got to get trained. You got to get a coach. You got to do whatever you have to do to break free of that, right? The problem with the independent repair market is the independent repair market, right? Uva and I have had this discussion a hundred times. The problem with dealing with independent shop owners is they're all independent and they all want to do it their own way. And that's great. You could still do it your own way, but you have to have a, a baseline, an industry standard of doing it right. And that includes compensation, equipment, personnel, sales training, parts, inventory management, everything. Right? <clears throat> it's not enough to walk into the shop and see a pile of parts and go, gee, I wonder how many cores are here that I need to send back. Right. So when we talk about technicians... Can I can I um, sure. add another thing which I observed as a motorist as well as looking at I don't know how many hundreds of work orders. It seems that the language used in the presentation to the motorist is part centric, not labor centric. So in other words, the work is devalued. Yeah. By, by, it's the necessary work to put this part in. Not the part is needed to get the car into the shape it, it needs. And I'm the doctor performing that work. And the part is just a necessary thing, right? There's a lot of language used where it's you know a, a parts exchange and, and then we were wondering why the value for the work doesn't hit the motorist's brain and they say why it's so expensive to diagnose right nobody would ask a doctor why it's expensive to diagnose my body nobody you wouldn't even come to mind well, well right? wait let's go let's go down that road a step further <laughs> Does anybody know how much it costs to replace a knee? Does anybody know how much it costs to get a shot of cortisone in your shoulder when it hurts? Does anybody really know the cost of any medical procedure anywhere? No, and they never ask. So there's no price transparency in medical, yes. right? Zero. 
and I'm not suggesting there should be no price transparency in what we do, but we tend to over complicate what we're doing. Good news, Mr. Jones, I found this noise in your brakes. Here's what we're going to do. And it's only gonna cost 927.53. I can have it done this afternoon. What say you? And instead what we tend to do is I need brake pads for $99. I need this brake cleaning kit for $15. I need a brake sensor for $12, $100 to put it all on. And we break it down into parts and pieces and people don't buy parts and labor, they buy trust. <clears throat> we have to truly get it to that point where this is what I'm going to do. <clears throat> this is the total package. No, I'm not, you don't need the part numbers. Don't go shopping for brake pads that are cheaper. Let's, let's teach our staff how to overcome that. <clears throat> so if we use the medical as a correlation, can we break our technicians down into similar things like the medical in industry does? So we've got, you know, a family practitioner, we got these little pop-up places that are coming up all over the place, all the way through to people that are doing tests. And then we have surgeons. Can we go ahead and start thinking about our technicians the same way as far as we've got one that's a need spotter, that's going to be our inspector. And then we might have another te guy, technician that's a different level that's an R&R &R guy. Then we've got one that goes all the way up to, you know, my diagnostician that is a, you know, pretty much can do it all. So, you know, by going ahead and classifying people as A, B, C, and D, are we going ahead and devaluing ourselves just specifically because of the title we attach to it? <clears throat> I don't know if we devalue ourselves based on a title, but we devalue ourselves because we don't understand how important we really are. Even last year in the pandemic, we were all considered essential. And, and we really needed to take a look at that and see how serious that was, right? Because the, what, who was essential? The plumbers, the electricians, the carpenters, the mechanics, everybody else stayed home, right? Then the rest of us had to go out there. Medical was essential and <clears throat> uh, keep the world moving. And we are so important for things to keep moving, right? That there's no reason for hackery in our mindset, right? And, you know, I was talking <clears throat> to somebody uh, this morning. In the early days, people would say, hey, what's it like owning your business? And I would always say, it's like an adult daycare. Now, what was the problem with that was when I was thinking it was like an adult daycare, I treated everybody like they were in an adult daycare. So, the, you know, we've all heard the tongue is the gateway to the heart. So the things that come out of our mouth is how our, it's how our spirit is. So if I go into the environment thinking, well, a bunch of complainers, a bunch of idiots, a bunch of this, a bunch of that, no matter what I think, even if I don't vocalize it, <clears throat> I act it out. So we've truly got to get ourselves to a position where these, I need to, first of all, surround myself with the right people. Stop putting up with mediocrity. Stop not holding people accountable, right? Because some people need to leave the industry. Let's just face it. They just, it's not natural for them. They're not doing a good job where they're on the counter in the back, sweeping the floor, it doesn't matter. So we have to truly hold ourselves accountable, hold them accountable and raise the bar across the entire industry. 
And this is not easy to do, right? You can't just do this because you wake up one day and decide to do it. You got to surround yourself with people who know how to do it. They can share ideas and help you do it and then make it better for everybody. And it's better for the motorist that way, right? <clears throat> if, if, if there's going to be shops out there, they're going to keep giving away their test time and they're going to keep giving away their value. They're going to miss out on those profit dollars to truly invest in their people and truly invest in their business to just make it better. Different track. So when it comes to technicians, you know, in the past, you know, flag <clears throat> hourly was, you know, the main go-to, um, some shops hourly and so on. But let's talk about, you know, for the technician, we never want to get back to a quota system where they're said, hey, you've got to sell X number of shocks, X number of brake pads or whatever. We want to go ahead and get them to work on behaviors based on a condition-based inspection and proper documentation. So, you know, can we go ahead and take a pay structure for those and modify it to where the behaviors that discover, document, and things like that are part of that pay structure? Yeah, true story. So when I worked at the Mercedes dealership, they did a spiff. They all often did spiffs for whatever you sold, right? Which opens the door for all kinds of problems. And I remember one in particular, <clears throat> um, there's a spiff for whoever sells the most alignments. And, you know, I get dragged into the office. Well, you won again. I don't understand. How come there's always a spiff? You always, you know, sell so many alignments. Why don't you sell alignments all the time? I said, because 90% of them come back with the wheels crooked or different problems. The techs don't do them right. So why should I sell it? Right. So there's proof in the pudding. You, you dangled that carrot in front of me. Okay. I can sell alignments under that circumstance. What would have been better was, you know, don't put a spiff out for how many batteries can we sell this month? Let's put a spiff out for how many batteries can we test this month? That'll bring in the battery sales with integrity, right? <clears throat> Don't, don't say, hey, let's sell some cabin filters this month. Let's check some cabin filters this month. And then get in the habit of doing those inspections and those checks. Then the sales will follow. So I think, Bill, that's the path you're heading down is how do we do it with integrity? How do we make things happen that are measurable? And then give opportunity for income, right? I love, love, love the business model of I'm, I'd like to pay you enough money for food and shelter. Food is hot dogs and bologna sandwiches. Shelter is like a two-bedroom apartment for you and your four kids. I would also like to include opportunistic, opportunistic income opportunities. So you can have steak and lobster in a four-bedroom house with a pool. You decide where you want to be. Do you want to do the minimum, get the minimum? Or do you want to know what's available for you, what future you can have, how you can advance to do more? So we all know the inspection, a condition-based inspection is a critical tool for not only for the shop, more importantly for the motorist to go ahead and make sure they're safe, you know, reliable and comfortable vehicle. And so the inspection criteria for the, anybody on the production side of the wall is, is got to be something that's got to be part of that compensation program, in my opinion. What say you? I want to go back to what, what Frank okay. said, because there's also a huge danger in this. And so, number one, I, I really want to say I wholeheartedly agree with what you said, Frank. 
um, the challenge is if the culture and the accountability has not reached a certain limit, people start testing batteries at a quality which is not sufficient to create the battery sales we assume are going to happen. Right? I give you an example. In, in the beginning, when we introduced inspections, right, shop owners would ask us, what's the minimum number of pictures? And we followed that trap. We said 14, whatever the number was, right? And then text took 14 pictures. Sometimes 10 of the same thing because all the, what they had in mind is the 14, right? So I think there has to be a certain baseline in which what we're just talking about is possible that battery testing is done with the same quality and the same thoroughness every single time. And then the battery sales will follow and the customer. So, so trust the process includes trust the culture. Am I making any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's, you know, it's probably a good way to start a consistent process, right? Right. Um, it, why aren't we making certain recommendations might be the question. So let's try it. Let's do this. Let's as a team do this, or, you know, I've coached shops that say, yeah, the technicians, I just can't get them on board. Let's just take one guy, get him on board, get him to be consistent and then show everybody else the results. Yes, right. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's perfect example of, it's not just, you're right. It's not just enough to do the battery test. Why are right. we doing it? How are we going to do it? Let's become consistent. What is it that- And how we present it and how we present it to the motorist, right? It's the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And presenting it to the motorist is why we're doing it, right? right? And do it for sounds the right- like it, it sounds like a perfect top, uh, shop meeting topic. During your weekly mandatory shop meeting. <clears throat> yep. So all of a sudden we landed at the shop meeting and the topic was compensation. How come? Good question. How come? Because in a well-run shop, it's got to be organized and run as a team. All the players have to be playing on the team in their role in order to go ahead and, and win the game. So, and that's where the shop meeting comes in. And that's, you know, could you imagine a sports team where they never had a meeting? They just talk to everybody individual. I mean, that'd be kind of crazy, but you know, building that culture through shop meetings is key. You know, whether it's a five-minute morning meeting just to go ahead and scrum to find out what's going on in the day. But, you know, even a small shop without having some meeting to set direction for the captain to go ahead and say, this is where we're going to sail the ship and it's not going to crash on the rocks. It just, we can't do that anymore. We're multi-million dollar businesses. And, you know, this isn't, you know, a hip pocket national game anymore. So, and, uh, go ahead, go ahead, and it's an important part of the culture communication, right? It's not just enough to run around and play the telephone game all the time. I'm going to tell Bob, he's going to tell Mike, he's she, he's right. going to tell Mary, she's going to tell Jim, and then hopefully, you know, at the end of the year, everybody's doing the same thing the same way. Doesn't work that way. We all need to have it together. Um, I heard something really interesting today. It kind of goes down that path. Ask your team, what are we not talking about? Mm -hmm. And should. 
It should. Right. So good stuff, Bill. <clears throat> so when we've got got this this particular path that we're on, you know, let's talk about recruiting. You know, we've got transparency with the customers. We've got meetings we're having transparency within our staff. Can we use that same transparency for a, a technician coming in to go ahead and make them feel comfortable and say, look, here's our process. You follow my process. You can see here that every tech in the building, you know, they're working on three cars a day. They're making, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours per day working on three cars. And if you follow our process, doesn't it make you comfortable that you're not going to have to be, you know, working on 10 cars a day to get 10 hours? So just by going ahead and having transparency about the process you use, why you do it, and so on, doesn't that make it a lot easier to go ahead and recruit the best of the best because they're not going to be some, they're probably not leaving somewhere that has a process that's stacked in a direction to go ahead and make them ultra successful? I think there's a large number of technicians that think the bad shop they're in is the same everywhere. Um, there's a lot of banter online. I wish I can get in more of these technician groups, but you know, they kind of vet guys like me out because, you know, they want to complain amongst each other and they, they'll, they'll actually attack newcomers. Oh, get out of this business. It sucks. It's horrible. Don't do it. Go be a plumber or something, which is sad. Um, car, there's a lot more satisfaction. I've done plumbing. There's a lot more satisfaction working on a car than plumbing. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so for me, and I think that we have to figure out how to reach those to let them know it's not like that everywhere. There's good operators out there and we got to help you find them. One of my guys that I recently, maybe it's, he's been here a year now. Um, that's how I found him. You know, he was on a shop owner page, used to be a shop owner. He's a tech again. <clears throat> on a shop owner page, you know, saying, man, I can't believe the way this guy pays. And he's always yelling and screaming at everybody and what's going on with shops owners today. And I had an opportunity to chime in and say, no, it's not that way. You need to really, there's good shops out there. Then it turned out he was in Vegas and we said, Oh no, we got to get together and sit down and eat. And, you know, went and shared a meal together. And I was able to convince him that it's not like that. There are good shops out there. I'm one of them come and join the team. And he did. Right. So we have to get the message out. Your experience is not the same everywhere. Your bad luck is not the same everywhere. And maybe you're the problem. How do we help you get better and learn some skills to help you deal with things? And so I, I, Bill, if I may, I, I'm still, I'm trying to connect the dots here to our topic, right? And, and it, it seems like if you have a newcomer and, and you wave your hands and and a lot of the compensation depends on things they initially perceive as not in control over that's not a great speech right, right, right. so the question is is there a compensation model where you start let's call it safe like hourly right and as you learn how the team works and the dependencies are clear on what you can influence and what you can't and how your team works, you add or replace compensation portions, not by how long you're present, but performance-based. 
right? So you, you you go in in the sliding scale. I don't know. You know, I know it sounds super complicated, but what, what I'm trying to say is, you know, you don't want to be a politician in the beginning and and and, and promise stuff, you know, and then everybody listens and yeah, no. Give me hard money at the end of my first week, so I stay. And I agree with that. Uh, I have found that new hires need time to figure out where's the restroom, where's the brake clean, where's the nuts right. and bolts, where's the washers, where's the solvent, where's that parts guy again I need to talk to when I need something, and how do I communicate with the service advisor again when I need something? Uh, because, you know, in my old shop, all I had to do is stand behind him and tap my foot and cross my arms and he'd eventually right. give me an audience. Well, and you won't let me do that here. Um, and I'm a big fan of what we've changed our model to be for that specific question is I'm going to pay you X number of dollars per hour or flat rate, which is ever more. Oh, cool. Uh -huh. Right. So and, that, and, and specifically, I want to take the pressure off of the oh. entire team. Yes. And the new hire, because the old days where I'd hand you a repair order and point to the car and say, go fix it on your first day of work, th that doesn't work anymore. That's not the world we live in anymore. I want to help you. This is our inspection process. You're going to spend days just learning how to do the inspection. And I'm going to pay you by the hour so you don't have to worry about, I'm not flagging. Oh, I'm going to die. Right? Right. Because you guys have heard me say it a hundred times. I don't know if you can see, this is a technician's paycheck and this is how far they can see, mm -hmm. right? They can't see past their next paycheck in most cases. And it's not always an earning problem. Sometimes it's a spending problem, right? And, and you know, that's probably for another day, teaching our people how to be financially responsible, savings, no debt and things like right. that. But to take that pressure off has been a huge help. Um, and I think for getting our teams up to speed. So a fixed onboarding process that has a pay structure built into it. And then in the past, you know, I've seen a lot of shops, especially whether they do that, they go ahead and say, look, this is the process we're going to use day one, two, three, four. These are the things you're going to do. Then you're going to start doing your job. And then when your flag hours exceeds what we're paying you, I'm going to give you an option to go ahead and when you switch to pure flag hour, but when we switch, you don't switch back. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a tool like that. And then again, we absolutely, you know, tied that into our average across their shop is three and a half hours per car. I'm going to guarantee you going forward that I'm going to supply you with at least X number of cars per day to go ahead and do your inspection on and so on. And we prove statistically that it's produced the same way for X number of months, years or whatever. So that way it's a more comfortable transition for them. Why don't we just keep that model in place? Here's your hourly pay. Here's your flat rate pay. Here's your bonus for doing this. And here's your bonus for doing that, right? And just keep it that way. I think, um, I think the biggest problem with flat rate today is wives, right? Because if you've got somebody who doesn't know what their next paycheck is gonna be, that puts a lot of pressure on the family, oh, right? Yeah. And again, 77 or 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck. All right, seven out of 10, eight out of 10 people live paycheck to paycheck. So that doesn't work 
when, how many hours did you have this week, Johnny? Oh, 27. I got stuck on a car. Well, mm-hmm. we got to pay rent. How are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, there, there has to be true professionalism brought into the fold where I have to prov- be able to provide food and shelter money for the family. Yes. Because in our financial training, we learned that women have this little gland that's called their security gland. And when the security drops, the gland tightens. When the gland tightens, the attitude intensifies. When the attitude intensifies, the husband's beat up. This is a true thing. Okay, I'm not making it up. Anybody who's married knows what I'm talking about. And, and you know, the, those of us who like motorcycles and cars and things like that, and you think you got a few bucks in the bank and you go buy something, watch what happens to your wife when you don't tell her about it. <clears throat> they like to have that security. So it, it's a big picture. This is part of the changes we need to make where, look, here, here's the base. And I, I like that, Bill, what you said, you know, I, I can guarantee you three cars a day. That's easy. But I, I don't know if that's the entire picture. We're no, because it's got to come with, I've also got the support staff. So it's going to estimate it, present it to the customer and gain approvals yeah. or authorization. So, you know, and that comes into the culture. So I know a lot of employees will leave a shop not necessarily because of the money, but because the culture is so negative, it just drives them nuts. And then a lot of them will also leave based on, you know, the condition of the facility they're in. So, you know, these are all things that are, that are part of the overall program, you know, and, and providing them a, an air conditioning building if you're in Vegas or Texas. You know, that's a employee incentive, so to say. Um, having a good culture in the shop, you know, where they can come in and they can meet everybody and visit with everybody, talk to everybody in the building freely without the owner around to go ahead and learn and understand the culture of the shop. Or on some of our early episodes, you know, we had something that, you know, they were talking about where the staff is actually doing the interview with the prospective employee to see, do they fit with the culture of this shop? And do you know what your culture is? Because if you, as a shop owner, don't set the standard for your culture, if you don't have core values that you normally and regularly talk about and communicate, somebody else in the organization will set the culture. Someone else in the organization will set the value standards. And um, it's, that's not how it works. Listen, employees are not much unlike having kids where the best way to be a successful parent is by having boundaries for your children. Right. When, when I was a young parent, you know, I got married when I was 19, had my first kid when I was 20. I didn't know how to set boundaries for my kids. And when I did learn how to set boundaries, it changed all of our lives and it's no different at work. We need to have boundaries. These are the boundaries where we operate. This is, you know, here's our culture, here's our core values. These are the boundaries we operate in. And we have to have boundaries of integrity where it's understood across the board. And I think a lot of times people leave when they don't have that structure and those boundaries in place. And so take, for example, you know, somebody who's allowed to be sloppy and he has a lot of comebacks, but he's making a lot of money. So we won't do nothing about it. I may not say anything about that, but I sure see it going on and I sure don't like it. And I'm assuming if I see it, you see it. And I'm assuming if you see it and you don't do anything about it, you don't care. And if you don't care, why should I be here? 
So for technicians, we you can see the industry trending toward a place where it's going to be hourly plus bonuses based on certain behaviors that we can easily measure um, and something that, you know, allows people to be compensated at a level that is, you know, according to their skill set and what they produce, but it's also going to be measured in other ways, like are they doing inspections, are they you know, discovering needs? Are they documenting it properly? Um, you know, are they efficient in what they do? Are they marking jobs complete on the tablet? You know, th things like that. Ways that we can easily measure without a lot of work by anybody and use that as a way to measure and, and motivate them to continue growing in the right direction. And even take it a step further, have a plan laid out with milestones that if you reach this, you'll get that. I think that's more important too. I think that's missing yes. in the industry also. I don't, I don't think enough shops understand the importance of what does somebody's future look like? Now, if you are not in a position to provide room for growth and promotion for your team, you should be providing opportunity for them to learn to accept that and give them, encourage them to go find that opportunity elsewhere. In other words, help them learn how to be a better person. Maybe you got somebody who'd really like to be a shop foreman. I'd really like to be a service manager. Okay. Well, this is maybe your shop is small and it's not going to happen there. Help them get there and have that kind of plan documented. Right. That comes back to, you know, to define career path from cradle to grave. You start here and you graduate here, 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 and here. And then when you get to the end of the role as a, your technician, then you go back and you're a mentor to somebody else, get compensated based on what you do, plus what you're helping the guys do that you mentor. So there, you know, there's all kinds of different positions in this industry, but we've never taken the time to sit back and define them. But many shops today, they do these things and they don't even know that they're doing them or how to define them or how to document them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. We don't know how. There's no, if you're on, if you're doing it by yourself, you don't know how, you're never gonna figure it out. And you're just gonna be mad when people leave and you're not gonna understand why. Right. We, we have 15 minutes left and we have, we're talking about technicians. Can we wrap up the technician part and go to service advisor, foreman, production manager, parts people, Etc. Sure. What's first? So, 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 to wrap up the technician, you know, create create a secured income in the beginning, and until they figure out how they have impact on their income, right? So you start hourly. You give them a choice, and then once that's established, you 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 start with bonus. So how do we do that for a service advisor? Typical service advisor compensation is sales quota, right? Yeah. And I and I did that for years, and and this year we changed it, and it changed our business. Um, <clears throat> we've changed to a gross profit dollar model. Where the, and here's how we made the transition, right? We used to pay off a gross sales, X percent. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So we did the math that says, okay, here's what our gross profit dollars was along that path. Mm-hmm. We need to pay this percentage. So we, maybe we went from 1% to gross sales to 3% gross profit dollars. So the dollar amount was the same. We didn't want to right. penalize anybody. Right. And <clears throat> that change increased our gross profit dollars because we weren't discounting anymore to make the sale. It was like, right. you know, we, we're getting other tools so we don't have to say, well, let me see what I can do. Okay, I'll take a hundred bucks off. Well, that comes right off the gross profit dollars, right? And it's when you're paying one or 2% and plus a base, it's ineffective to a, to an advisor. I really like the idea again, and we do this with a base pay, you know, food and shelter kind of money. Yep. And here's your opportunity to earn. And, uh, it, it, and I think it would work for everybody if they would look at it. Uh, I'm really astonished how many shops struggle to get certain goals met mm-hmm. and then, but they pay their advisors, you know, like 15 bucks an hour period. <laughs> and and they, don't, they don't understand why they can't get, you know, technician hours up. They can't get parts returned in a timely manner. They can't get customers taken care of. It doesn't work. So what, what, what do you think is a good ratio between a secure base pay and, and cost profit dollars? I, I think it's really market dependent. <clears throat> okay. Where, mm-hmm. where if you can rent the three bedroom house for $750 a month, it's completely different than a community like Las Vegas where a three bedroom house rental might be $2,000 a month. Right. Right. And, and again, I want, I want you to have enough money to have that one or two bedroom apartment and hot dogs and if that's the life you want okay but here's the opportunity to have more right have a nice car a couple cars and and i think that's important i don't think i think if we give too high a base it's going to get too comfortable Mm -hmm. right and we, we ran into that in the past we used to pay our bonuses weekly for the service advisor and, you know, we'd have no bonus, no bonus, no bonus, bonus. Everybody's ringing a bell, celebrating, running around the building. I made it, I made it, I made it. And then no bonus, no bonus, no bonus, no bonus. And then it's like, okay, now we need to, here's the monthly goal. Mm-hmm. We, and this way here, I'm taking the pressure off of three bad weeks, give you the opportunity to have one good week and push hard if you need to. <clears throat> but if you don't make it for the month, you don't make it. That's just the way it goes. Oh, that's the numbers are. Yeah. <laughs> So if you want to develop high, highly skilled service advisors, and I mean skilled when it comes to presenting value to the customer, gross profit dollar pay structure is what's really designed to do that because they're not going to go ahead and be able to give stuff away because it's going to go ahead and cost them also. And when they learn how to deliver and presentate, present things to the customer in a way that's value oriented, um, then their pay goes up. So, I mean, that's one of the things that, that really has to, you know, be built into the equation. And it's all about training, right? Training, training, training. If you're not training your service advisors to present correctly, you're missing out. So here's an example. We teach this at Transformers. <clears throat> if a car comes in, it's got 100,000 miles and it's got a leaky water pump, we're going to recommend the water pump, the hoses, the cooling system, flush the thermostat. The car's old. Here's why we're presenting it. Here's the entire package. Here's the entire price. So when a customer hits the floor and goes, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. What can we do? Well, perhaps if we didn't do the hoses or perhaps if we didn't do this and then we start taking things off the total package, I no longer have to discount. 
because if I say, here's your water pump and here's the price, he's going to have the exact same reaction. Oh my gosh, I didn't expect that. What can we do? Now I'm forced to discount the water pump because that's all I presented to him. And that's, and, uh, and there's nothing unethical about that. If the car's got a hundred thousand miles on it, seven or eight years old, it needs hoses. It needs a thermostat. You don't want to take chances and, and not do a proper complete repair. Right. Same thing with brakes. If you're not lubricating the pins and you're not doing anti-squeal material and you're not selling the brake clean and, and you're not doing it as a package, you're not giving the customer the value they deserve. So that comes back to the age old discussion with a customer when they ask you, you know, how much time are you charge me for and what labor rate is mammoth, sir. We don't charge based on book time and dollar amount. We charge based on book time and previous experience and their previous experience of our technician is more reliable than what's written in a book any day. Yeah. So there's different things. Um, I would like to go ahead if we can, I'd like to go ahead and talk about, you know, different measurement methods we have and are we missing anything in the business control panel that we might need to be able to measure going on into the future, you know, for, you know, these different type of compensation programs we're talking about. So, you know, we got examples, um, you know, one example might be is, you know, for a service writer, call conversion, customer calls, you you know, what percentage is actually turned into an appointment? And then if it is turned into appointment, does it get dropped off? And what is the dollar value and so on? So is there some KPIs that we don't currently have that would be highly valuable to go ahead and put in place for, you know, a truly dynamite, you know, compensation bonus program? You know, my... What I have on the list is actually, I look at the service advisor as somebody who creates the highest lifetime value of a customer, right? So it's not just what you sell at this visit. It is how often does the customer come back in and how often does the yellow stuff on the inspection sheet gets recommended for the next visit and actually customer shows up and does it. Right, so yeah. what, one of the KPIs I really think is important to assess a service advisor is how much is deferred, how much is not deferred forever, <laughs> every single time that it's deferred, um, and is actually then written up and built. I, I so think, it yeah, and I think that's good. And I think you can add some other things in it. You know, are we exit scheduling? Exit scheduling, yes. Are, are we exit selling, right? Are we reselling the ticket after? You know, um, we have a lot of technology out there, guys. You should have cameras so you could watch this stuff. It's not because you're spying. It's because you're verifying they're, they're doing the job we've asked them to do. Are you listening to call right. recordings? You know, are, are we say, hey, man, how much is this set of breaks? Oh, look, 299 bucks and I'm really busy. I can't get you in for two weeks. That guy needs help, right? So right. there's a lot of things I think that could be done billing that. So, so, so can we can, can we cover? We have six minutes left. Can we cover foreman, production manager? How do you pay them? How do you compensate them? How do you compensate a service advisor who is forty percent selling and dispatching tax, forty percent and ordering parts, the remaining twenty? Is it all lumped into gross profit and done? 
I think that position should be treated more like an assistant advisor. It's probably more of an hourly plus a bonus if the goals are met. Um, you know, when we were smaller, we started that way. And, you know, where my parts guy was kind of an assistant advisor. And then as we grew, his position changed to only parts, which is still hourly plus a percentage of gross profit dollars. Um, he's got to hit certain criteria in his parts because even that person can go, ooh, I can't sell that for $700. Let me put it down for 500 because they feel bad. Right. So um, shop foreman, same thing. It's hourly plus um, a percentage of what the shop does based on gross profit dollars. And, you know, and everybody's working toward the same goal. It's the gross profit dollars. Um, I have a spreadsheet that I use <clears throat> that I use my cost of doing business, monthly average, divided by my current gross profit percentage. I can divide that by my targeted gross profit percentage and show my team, here's how many dollars we need to sell to get there. Here's how many cars we need to do based on our average RO. So we all know what we're striving for. It's not, it's never a case where, oh, it's the end of the month and we didn't make it. Oh, shucks. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows how many cars we need every single day to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And really as a shop owner, we really know that production side of the shop should be a certain percentage of your gross profit. The support team should be a certain percentage of gross profit. And then we just need to decide, you know, where does that shop foreman, does he fit into production side or the other side and what mixes between there? And same thing with, you know, your, your assistant for the service advisor, you know, does, is that on the production side of the shop or is it on the um, support side of the shop and just make your percentages in there. And then when you know that you're going to have to adjust your, your pricing to the customer accordingly to go ahead and support that same percentage model mix. Yeah don't, don't, yeah, don't base your prices on what the guy down the street's doing. Nope. Nope. And, and like I said, it's going to go ahead and help the shop in the long run because you're going to go ahead and learn how to go ahead and demonstrate the value or your unique position in a marketplace that's different from anybody else that thinks you're a competitor and then charge accordingly. Yep. That's it. Get the training, get the coaching, get the help you need. You can't fix what you can't measure measure what you're um, what you're trying to accomplish make some changes i think and it's just occurred to me during this time whatever the median income is in your city your tech should probably be minimum 1.5 times that mm -hmm. give yourself a goal to shoot for if median income's 50 grand it should be a minimum 75 grand. How do I get my guys up to a minimum 75 grand? How do I get them up to 100, 120, 130 grand a year? Mm -hmm. And regardless of what you do, always have some opportunity for them to, those that work harder to go ahead and shine. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I love that. It's a generally accepted metric. Yeah. You can look it up anywhere. <laughs> Uh, it's, of it's at your fingertips. You can look up the median income. And, and it's really sad when um, publications um, give the average pay for autom automotive mechanics. And it's like 22000 a year. And it's sad because I think they're including lube guys and tire guys in that. Right. Really the title of a technician is way too broad. It needs to be broken, broad, down, yeah. broken yeah. down by, you know, the different you know, as I talk about the different career paths, it should be broken down in individually in there because 
all that one lump thing, the averages are too skewed. Too skewed. Yep. Yep. You'll hear real often these days, you know, techs are in the hundred, $150,000 range. Um, and then it, it kind of goes down from there. And then you got the, you know, the tire techs and stuff like that, you know, they're kind of now just being forced into the $15 an hour range, which is probably too low, you know, based on what they do and the liability that they can create for the shop if it's done improperly. Yeah, no doubt. We need to up our game. We need to make this a really attractive industry and it's going to, it's going to start by taking a close, hard look. Listen, if there's a shop owner out there listening right now and you're thinking I cannot afford to pay my guys more, fix it. And the best way to fix it is learn to go ahead and demonstrate a higher value for what you do to the consumer and then ask to be reimbursed for it. Yeah. Get, get a coach, get in a group, do something. Don't post on Facebook because you get all the haters on there. That's not the right place to get help. And I'm that, and I'll exclude the um, digital shop page because you got a real good team in there. But a lot of these pages, man, these guys are just attack each other. It's like, man, you're eating your own. It's I don't suspicious. get it. And it's a self-pity group often, you know. Right, right. So the takeaway is to go ahead and use your inspection sheets to go ahead and do a good condition-based inspection. Use the inspection and a work order section to go ahead and send pictures and stuff to the customer to demonstrate the value in the complex work that we do and learn how to go ahead and charge for it. And then start developing the highest paid um, people in the industry so we can attract the best and brightest and yep. more importantly, keep them and especially for some of the technicians in the market right now that are kind of aging out, you know, find a place to go ahead and put them that we can use them to go ahead and mentor some other people in here instead of, um, you know, just have them leave the industry and create big holes. Yep. Good stuff. Awesome. Frank, as always, thank you very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, so once again, I'd like to remind remind everybody to go ahead in autovitals.com forward slash radio to sign up and register to join us live or all the other past episodes are there. Lots of great information there and look for us on the digital shop or on the different podcast platforms by just searching for the digital shop talk radio and you'll find it um, rebroadcast on, on many of the uh, uh, podcast platforms. So once again, I'd like to thank everybody and say, um, you know, go out there and make some money and demonstrate a higher value to your customers and don't be afraid to ask to be uh, reimbursed for it. Don't be afraid to get paid what you're worth. Or a little bit more than what you feel you're worth. I like that better. <laughs> yes, that's a good right. one. Good run. <laughs> be well. Cool. You know. Thank you again for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Frank. Always yep. great.